0: and you've watched the urban meyer lap dance video please uh, go ahead and comment below and yeah give us, us your best
1: your give us your best finger gun picture
0: on its uh how about just rate its eroticism on a scale of one to ten uh ten being the most disgusting or the least disgusting ten being the, the hottest <laughs> i don't know zero and a half okay i still haven't seen it it's not great yeah. it's not great so uh you ready back there gabe
1: yeah man Fantastic. So am I. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Glass Half Sports. It is October 7th. Uh, We are exiting week four and heading into week five for the NFL. I am glad that all of you have decided to join me today, either live or uh, in the rewatch. Um, glad to have you. I am joined by Gabe during a solo show
0: today, just kind of on audio. Gabe, how you doing? Yo, 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 just back here. Heavy breathing. Heavy <laughs> Sorry. Breathing. I just realized I had it unmuted. I get self-conscious.
1: No, it's all good, all right. man. Um, so glad to have you guys with us. Like I said, uh, if you like this, the content that you've been seeing so far from us, or you got some friends that would agree or disagree with our takes and uh, you want to let them know about it, you can share us on platforms like Spotify, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We are not on YouTube and, uh, not on Apple Podcasts, but any of those platforms such as Facebook and stuff, you can come leave us a like, a follow, or a comment, and we will make sure to get back to you. Uh, you know, after the show, or even live here, because this is an interactive show as well, folks. Um, so we will be responding to comments throughout the show. If you miss the live on Thursdays, you can always catch us on uh, M or MCN six. Gabe, is that
0: right? Yes, sir. MCN 6 every Saturday at 1 p.m.
1: That's right. And Fridays in the evening sometime.
0: Yes, sometimes uh, Friday night at uh, 10 or 11 p.m., depending on the week. I know there's playoff baseball on, which can get kind of tedious and
1: boring. So if you're looking for something a little more entertaining between Thursday football and Saturday college football, my show is on in the evening, folks. Come join me. Um, Today we will be going over uh, a couple of different things. We're going to talk about the Vikings, obviously, always doing the Then and Now segment uh, as we get You know, wrapped up on the Browns week. Uh, We'll go into week four takeaways from around the league. We'll check in on week five and what you guys should be watching for some of the better games throughout the week. And then we are joined by yet another special guest this week in uh, Twins Daily uh, writer and Locked On Twins podcast host um, Nash Walker. Uh, We'll do our big money pick of the week. And then me and Gabe are actually going to talk the fight game a little bit since he brought it up last week. And there's a big heavyweight bout going on this weekend. Um, so stay tuned for all of that. Um, and then without further ado, I guess we can kind of jump right into the Vikings then and now segment, uh, as always me and Mike, who is not here today. Cause he is out sick. Um, try to go over the week that was in preparation for the week that will be. And I'm going to kind of break off since I'm doing this alone today and, 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 talk a little bit about the current state of the Minnesota Vikings, because after that game on Sunday, I was torn from Top to bottom on whether or not I should be preparing for optimistic. Hey, it's only one in three. This is the longest season in NFL history. We've still got a chance. And hey, blow the whole goddamn thing up because it just doesn't work. And the unfortunate truth is, folks, I think we're going to land with the latter. It has been eight years of this Zimmer experiment. And week in and week out, it almost feels like we don't know what version of the Minnesota Vikings we're going to get. We come out in week one and play like shit undisciplined. We come out in week two and we play great and we still lose. We come out, bounce all over the Seattle Seahawks, and then we score in the first two minutes of a football game against Cleveland and then nothing else for the remainder of the game. It's just one of those scenarios, folks, to where even in dating, right, there are two people that could be good for each other, good to each other, but it just doesn't work. There has to be a specific level of chemistry and fire and passion and want to and go getativeness that I think the Vikings entering year eight now just don't have anymore. I mean, I was looking at this uh this stat that rolled across my Facebook this morning. Eight years in, Mike Zimmer has a 17 and 41 record against teams with winning records by the end of the season. During the Kirk Cousins era, he's five and twenty one against those teams. That's not going to win you a Super Bowl. That's not gonna win you any playoff games. Now, You can always correct the ship. Kubiak could obviously go ahead and develop. You could take inventory of the guys that you have on this roster that are top 15 players. Brian O'Neill and Ali Udo on the offensive line. Thielen and Jefferson at wide receiver. Cook and Madison potentially at running back. I think Kirk Cousins is a top 15 quarterback in this league. Aaron Kendricks, uh, Daniil Hunter, Everson Griffin. Harrison Smith, Xavier Woods, all of these tools and weapons that we seem to have to include guys that we have brought in now, like Michael Pierce, who's going to be out uh, with an elbow injury from from what it sounds like, and Dalvin Tomlinson from New York, who's supposed to be just a a run stuffer, and we're going to give up 184 yards per game. It just doesn't seem to gel well, and when you have this much talent and you're still a middle-of-the-road team, maybe it's time to do exactly what the Cowboys did. They look good this year. Uh, That's second year under a brand new head coach. It was mediocrity after mediocrity after mediocrity uh, under Jason Garrett. And that's just not going to get the job done. So they went out and hired Mike McCarthy, who has a Super Bowl uh, pedigree and a playoff pedigree as well. And they seem to be just operating a whole lot better now that Dak's back this season. And the unfortunate truth is, if the Vikings go ahead and lose either one of these next two games, I feel like you got to start planning for a reset or a retool versus you know a a rebuild you wait till the offseason if you're going to do a rebuild but if you're telling me that we're going to be sitting at one and five going into the bye, or even two and four and the Packers pick up even one more win we're going to be mathematically statistically eliminated even during one of the longest seasons ever you can't going into the bye. I mean Carolina's playing really well and Detroit doesn't give anything up easy so can you as a Vikings fan tell me right now that you're confident in being able to win either one of those games um, Tevin Pittman says, if we blow things up, do we fire both Zim and Spielman? What coach stylistically would you pursue another defensive minded coach or an offensive specialist like Eric B or, uh, the OC for the chiefs. So I had actually gone back and forth uh, on Twitter uh, with a couple people about this over the weekend. <clears throat> now, I think because the Zim and Spielman came in around the same time, they're tight at the hip. Yeah, you have to get rid of both. Um, and it's an, it'll be an unfortunate Casualty. When we got Zimmer, it was the right move. We had been burned by Leslie Frazier and some bad coaching decisions, and we needed something in Minnesota that was going to make us feel safe going into every single season. And as a defensive minded head coach, when we brought him in, the rules were, you know, kind of curtailed a little bit more to that style of play. But as rules and the tempo of the game, and what fans want to see has evolved along with the athletes that play almost positionless football on the field, just like we seem to see more and more now with baseball and basketball. I don't think you can have a defensive-minded head coach. The league lends itself to offensive firepower. Look at guys like Sean McVay, um, you know, the the offensive coordinator, Eric Biennemi, obviously the offensive coordinator, Andy Reid, Kyle Shanahan. These are all coaches. Matt LaFleur with offensive backgrounds that have an impact on their game week in and week out. And because of that, they have the ability to dictate the tempo, hold, serve, and so on and so forth. Now, defensive coaches are always going to have their place in this league, especially as head coaches. However, if you're going to have one of those coaches in-house, I feel like what you have to do is be able to retain a young, successful offensive coordinator. Look at all the ones that the Vikings have lost. Dating all the, and Tevin, me, me and you were talking about it before the show. Uh, guys that have left this building that have gone on to be great head coaches elsewhere. I I know a demotion seems asinine for Mike Zimmer, but how good do you think that this team would be over the last two years? If you would have slid Zim back to handle the defense with Andre Patterson and allowed Kevin Stefanski to step up and be the head coach and really begin to utilize Jefferson and Thielen and cook the way that they need to be. Is this a different football team? I believe so. Um, if you're talking about stylistically, what type of coach? Yeah, I think Eric Bieniemy was something that we should have interviewed as the offensive coordinator this offseason, knowing that Zim was on his way out or on the hot seat with everything that we have going on in Minnesota. Um, however, I know there are some concerns about can he call an NFL game because I know Andy Reid is still doing a lot of that in Kansas City, and that offense looks a hell, a hell, like super explosive. But it's just got to be somebody. It's got to be somebody new. It's got to be somebody that you can sell to players as, hey, we're changing the culture of this team. That's 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 kind of what I got for you. I shouldn't have to sit here and and tell you, you know, or, or talk about the Browns game the way that we have to. The offense was abysmal and inconsistent. The defense, which looked great the previous week in the second half of both games, while, yeah, they only let up 14 points, they should have let up 27 Baker himself is losing money hand over fist by not being able to complete passes. So I think he beat himself more than anything our defense did. And then I shouldn't have to sit here and worry about the Lions game either. Pene Sewell's not playing well. Jared Goff can't hold on to the football ever. He's immobile. They have no corners. Uh, it's just they're in total rebuild mode. But you wake up on Monday as a Vikings fan going, I wonder if we're going to be able to beat the Lions. And that should never be the case when you're a when you have the level of talent that we have on the field. So it's time to take a good hard look at this Vikings roster and decide going into the bye week. Do we do we get a good look at Andre Patterson? If we lose one more football game, to see if he's the answer and if not, how can we start to retool? Can we move the age, resign the young talent, reset the core and then make this a destination landing spot for somebody who's going to be a in a head coach hunt in this next year. That's that's just kind of where I'm at on the Vikings now, folks. It's it has been disappointment after disappointment after disappointment, and to think that you left Rashad Hill in there and you let Kirk Cousins get beat up in a game where your first round draft pick rookie that you traded back for, Christian Darrisaw, is just sitting on the bench. You see teams in the NFL do two tackles on one side all the time on run heavy, uh, with a run heavy game plan. Why are we not doing the same? It's it's just a lapse. In, in judgment, from the top down, the roster is talented enough, but it's time to start holding our coaches accountable and take a big swing. We have been here since '65 or '63, and the Minnesota Vikings and their fan base deserve a Super Bowl, so we deserve a coach that is going to swing for the fences. And even if we strike out, that's fine. But we need to start to increase our chances to winning a Super Bowl. Uh, that, that's just—it's it, unfortunate. I hate talking about the Vikings this way, but I, I feel like that's kind of where we're at. So. Um, and I I don't know, Gabe, did you watch the game at all this weekend? Did, have you been hearing anything about the Vikings? So,
0: uh, no, thank God. I didn't watch it. I had my (laughs) children. I'm a divorced man. I had two kids for the first weekend at my house. So I missed it, but I want to say this as I watch this, I've watched the Vikings for uh, 25 years now or 30 years. And, uh, what you're saying feels rooted in emotions, not in logic. It feels, uh, I mean, to me just because who else are you going to get who's out there we are a destination for players like didn't we land players this year coming not players i'm talking coaches we have more coaches leave
1: than we have show up we cultivate them we're like a, we're like the minnesota twins of coaching in the nfl
0: well hey i mean but that's cuz zimmer keeps firing them
2: <laughs> my point really exactly right
0: and and i mean i'm not saying that a that a change doesn't need to be made it just does seem early even though this has looked awful we could still write the ship and, and be, I guess, do we get in at uh, 11 and five? Or I guess, I guess I mean, 12 and 12 and five now so with 17, 12 and five
1: with a 17 game season. You're going to tell me that this roster based on the consistency that they have showed you to this point, And yes, I do believe it's going to take 11 and five. Maybe if we get lucky, you could go uh, 11 and six, maybe and sneak in, in the NFC, but it's, it's almost statistically impossible, especially considering after the bye with Mike Zimmer's record against winning ball clubs, what we're going to have to go up against in the Chargers and the Ravens and all of those things are going to be on the road, plus the cross, cross-country travel, which also lends to teams that have to do that not being super successful on those games. It, it just, it seems to me, and I know that there may not be a clear-cut answer to who that head coach is going to be. That's fine. That's why it's a head coach search. You have to go out and find the right person. Right. Yeah. Like I I thoroughly believe if you look at like what's going on in Houston, now that Bill O'Brien is gone, that with how hard that team plays week in and week out, regardless if they are competitive, they're doing the right things. You look at Dan Campbell in Detroit, they are playing consistently up to the level, fighting, scratching, clawing, and biting their way to close ball games. We're not doing that. You looked at that Cleveland game was abysmal. You couldn't keep Kirk upright or clean. You couldn't run the football. You couldn't do a lot of things. Yeah, Tevin Pittman agrees. After the buy, our schedule is tough. So you have to win the next two.
0: And I you- agree with that. I'm just saying to blow it up, you know, I mean, are you seriously saying that if, if they lose this next week that we get rid of Zim and have, have um, Andre Patterson take a shot? I believe that that's the case. If yeah. you look at Andre Patterson's
1: track record, he has developed guys like uh, he was here. He's been in the, the Minnesota Vikings organization for a very long time. I think dating all the way back to some of the very elite defensive end and defensive yeah. tackle pass rushers that we have had throughout Vikings history. He's brought up Daniil Hunter. He's brought up Griffin. He brought up Brian Robinson. I'm sure he was here towards, or he may have been here towards the either the beginning or the very tail end of Jared Allen. Uh, he was here for... Who are the two uh, legends that I'm thinking of? Um,
0: I mean, these aren't guys that were brought no, up, but you mean like Jared Allen or no, whatever? No, 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 way right.
1: further back than that. Like Hall of Famers, those guys have ties to to Dre and his coaching style. And it seems to me that the guys can buy in and the way that he interacts with the media seems like somebody that you could, at an interim pace, sell to the team, Right. He's he's got success running defenses. Well, the strength of our team is supposed to be our defense. So you make him the interim, and you maybe go out and hire, I don't know, some like another offensive assistant or or whatever the case may be. But if you lose either one of these next two games, the season for the Minnesota Vikings is done. There's zero chance we make the playoffs. Losing to either the Lions. And then the following week, we have, oh, I think it's another the, the Carolina Panthers. And Sam Darnold's playing out of his mind and from the sounds of it, they just got Stephon Gilmore, who's going to be happy and ready to come off the physically unable to perform list in in week six. And that defense is already good enough to give our offense fits based on the way that they perform. Look, I just want to get back to hating uh, Kirk Cousins. I, and I, I would love to, but the guy has played minus last <laughs> week where he couldn't stay upright. The guy has played out of his gourd. I he know. has played such good football. Dalvin Cook has played good football. Alexander Madison, Jefferson, Thieland, Udo, O'Neal. All of these guys are playing good football. But if you take a look at how we're losing football games, it's situational. We're bad in big spots, closing halves, closing ball games, clock management, rotation of defensive fronts, substitutions. We're calling timeouts when we don't have any. It's just one of those things where you're like, that's an undisciplined football team. This is starting to look like the very same thing that I condemned the Pittsburgh Steelers for.
0: Has anyone ever made Zimmer answer for why we have a new offensive coordinator every year, like local media? Well, so when Filippo left, it had a
1: lot to do with the fact that he wanted to be a run-first, play-action, boot football team. Very reminiscent of what you used to see when he was in Dallas winning a lot of games with the Cowboys and when he, when he was with Parcells. He believes that that is the recipe for winning football games. But I don't think you can – unless you're the Cleveland Browns with undoubtedly one of the top 3 offensive lines in football right now and you have two 1200 yard backs in the backfield you can't win ball games that way anymore not consistently you absolutely can't your quarterback and some of the other places that you go absolutely need to be playmakers so it's 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 too inconsistent so pay attention cuz Zim is on a hot seat now no no doubt about that so, let it us know you, let us know what you guys think uh in regards to what the Vikings are going to look like the next 2 weeks and whether or not we can get a head start. Same thing we talked about with the Minnesota Twins folks. Uh they are going to see the dividends next year and we'll ask Nash Walker about this when he comes on, but I believe they're going to see the benefit of getting some of these younger guys reps in meaningless games before you know the the next season. Uh Max Trainer says it's it all starts at the top. Uh, Wilf needs to sell the team. He's a dirty he's a dirty businessman who has been found guilty for racketeering. I mean, I, I believe that you can go all the way back up to the top. I don't doubt that. Not even one bit. You look at 60, here are since 65, no Super Bowls. Not a single one. With all the talent we've had, all of the Hall of Famers that have walked through these buildings. Unacceptable. It does start at the top. So I agree with you on that one. Um, Comments like that can be responded to in the uh, post-show as well, so feel free to let us know what you guys think uh, as we move on to uh, our next segment of the show, which is going to be Week 4 Takeaways from the rest of the league. Um, I got a couple of them after watching a few games this weekend that I wanted to talk about. And, of course, we will lead with the return of Tom Brady to New England. And I don't know if, if anybody else out there watched it. It felt like the entire nation was tuned into this game, but it was the most New England- Brady game that Foxborough could have given us. Defensive battle, conditions, heady play, got to get it on third down, got to get it late. All the way, all the way down to New England trying to leave it to their quarterback to make a fourth quarter drive to put away an opposing team. Bill Belichick is one of the greatest coaches in NFL history, and you will not convince me otherwise. He may be a shrewd businessman, but that man wears so many hats inside that organization. And the fact that he took a Buccaneers team that should have embarrassed new England down to the last second is incredible in and of itself. You know, Tom Brady spoke about it after the game, lots of good memories there. He has no hard feelings against, you know, against the fans or the players that were there in Foxborough. He enjoyed all of his time. And how can't you, when you win six rings with a city, but it, it was it was fitting. He got to go back and feel the weight of the dynasty that he built and it was really fun to watch. but there was one underlying thing to this game that I think needs to be paid attention to and it's gonna come down one of two ways. either Bill Belichick does not trust yet Mac Jones who very easily, with the time left on the clock at the end of this ballgame, only needed about three more yards to make that a makeable field goal in conditions on a bad plant leg for Nick Folk. I mean, if you throw that ball, if you run that next play, if you trust Mac Jones to get the job done, you're putting the same amount of faith in him that you've put in Brady for the last 20 years. Now, I know that that's a big step, but you got to start somewhere. Or did Bill lay it down? Did Bill know that he could get the three yards? But under all of the heat that he had taken, under out of the respect that he had for Brady and knowing that this is his moment and his return to Foxborough, did he decide not to do it and allow the Bucs to sneak out with a win? Which seems awfully uncharacteristic. Just about as uncharacteristic as him waltzing into the opposing locker room post-game and holding Tom Brady of Tom Brady for a secret meeting, you know, for 20 minutes before either one of them could go speak to the media just about as uncharacteristic as it was for him to speak to the media multiple times last week about you know the the Wickersham book that came out saying that he had that he and he alone pretty much was the reason that Brady had to leave so I, it was very i was very curious to see where that was going to land or 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 what people were going to make out of that scenario because either you don't trust Mac or you lay down for Brady and both of those things seem uncharacteristic of Bill um, let me know what you guys think on that game. Beautiful game. So glad that Tom got the win. Obviously, massive congratulations on passing the or uh, obtaining the all-time passing record while he was there on a wonky play where they gave him the yard, then they didn't give him the yard, and then they gave it back to him. But um had a good time watching it. Let us know what your guys' thoughts and takeaways were from that game. It's always fun to watch. Uh, but then the next thing I need to talk about is I need to admit something, folks. I was wrong. I missed it with the Arizona Cardinals. They're really good. What they did to the Rams was stomp them out. What they did to the Vikings was run them out of the building. And at the beginning of the season, I was looking around going, I mean, Arizona can't be that good, right? What offensive line? But Kyler Murray's mobility fixes that. Uh, You know, who's he? You know, what weapons? What time? Well, then they went out and got A.J. Green, who I thought was washed. Nope, just a bad system in Cincinnati. Go figure. They drafted Rondell Moore. That guy's a speedster. DeAndre Hopkins is DeAndre Hopkins. Max Williams was or has been playing extremely well. The season prior, I was like, what defense? Well, Isaiah Simmons seems to have come into his own. J.J. Watt, Chandler Jones, Buddha Baker. They've got talent on the defensive side of the ball. And I think what makes them good is the same thing that makes the Vikings bad is their flexibility. Look at the guy. They, 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 they said, fuck the system. Let's get the best football players available. And let's just make sure that they are always in position to make plays against our opponents. If they are weak interior on the offensive line, we'll roll JJ Watt down to the three technique. If they have weak tackles, we'll stack JJ and Chandler Jones up over that one side of the line. If uh, the middle of the field is a concern, we're going to cut Isaiah Simmons loose, who can play safety, middle linebacker, defensive end, corner, and we'll let him go. We'll pass rush, so that way our, our corners, like Buda Baker and some of the other guys that they have in that secondary, can go get the ball. Same thing on offense. They don't have a running back, but they don't need to. They run five wide with bubble screens, and their most electric threat in the run game is Kyler Murray, who looks like the Tasmanian devil when he runs around. It's really fun to watch. They are a really, really, really good football team. And I feel bad for at the beginning of the season for kind of looking up and dis, you know just throwing them to the side. They're in a cannibalistic division, but they're sitting on top of it. And they've got another game this week to where if they win, buckle your chin straps, folks, because we're going to hear a lot of Kyler Murray MVP talk. It's, it's going to be a fun remainder of the season. And the guys on that team are playing well. And this is what I see out of of a lot of the other teams that, that are young, like the Bills, like the Chiefs. It's not necessarily, hey, this is my system, run it. It's, hey, I've got the best players. I mean, look at the Rams do the same thing. Aaron Donald can move all over the offensive line. Jalen Ramsey can play nickel. He can play corner. He could, hell, he could slide in and play linebacker. The Cowboys have a converted safety and Keanu Neal playing linebacker right now and their defense is playing lights out. Micah Parsons plays middle linebacker and defensive end it's we're in a league now where we're starting to see the introduction of this almost positionless football to make sure that the most talented guys that you have are the ones that are winning you football games. And I think it's a really interesting way to play football. It's like
0: arena league.
1: Yeah. It's, it's, it's insane. It's explosive. It's unpredictable. It's malleable. I know everybody wants to call it like an amoeba defense. I don't necessarily think it's an amoeba defense that, you know some of these teams are running but it's just situational everybody's looking at where can i win what is my competitive advantage and how can i exploit it and they're just going after it and a lot of times that works cuz teams on a one on a week to week basis how hard is it to plan for who's coming at me from where this week when you play ball like that it's impossible to plan for so you know what a guy in cliff kingsbury who I thought was not going to be worth a damn as a head coach in the NFL. Congratulations. You have made yourself a dominant football team and it seems like everybody on that roster is bought in and I'm excited to watch what they have to do for the rest of the season. So, I mean I mean Gabe, let me let me ask you something. If you when you look at the Arizona Cardinals and I don't know if you watched the game against the Vikings, could you think of a team right now outside of maybe the Chiefs and the
0: Bucks that could beat the Cardinals? Well, I'm actually thinking, <laughs> and I don't know. They just, you know what? Detroit Lions. If they squared them up, <laughs> that's who I'm going with. Same kind of, same kind of uh, play with energy. But no, no. I mean, obviously they're playing great. I'm really stuck on something from the last segment when yeah. you said at the end. You said um, you're so happy for Tom. I am happy got for Tom. Win. Do you also? Would you used to be happy for the Harlem Globetrotters when they'd win games? Yeah, were you happy for Hulk Hogan when he'd win the heavyweight? <laughs> Absolutely, brother. Do you root for the Banks? Well, my <laughs> God, Tom's had enough winning.
1: No, I mean, but he earned it. He built that. He franchise. did.
0: I think. I think what's amazing is actually Tom's likability has come back with his, um, like, with the Tampa Bay stuff. Well, maybe I used to hate him, and maybe now that's I because, sort of like him.
1: Yeah, maybe that's because he's not freezing his ass off four months a year, taking a pay cut, throwing to Walmart wide receivers. Yeah, he's allowed to enjoy football again.
0: Well, it's it's amazing that it's it actually now it's taken away that argument that he is just a system guy, right? He is. Like, I mean, not. it's 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 amazing actually. So, so let yeah. us
1: know what you guys think on the Arizona Cardinals uh, for sure. Uh, I'm really interested to see. Here's what I'll say in the comments. Let me let me know where you think their limit is. Is it conference championship? Is it a Super Bowl? Are they going to win the division? Is Kyler Murray going to be an MVP? Like, what is? the ceiling for this Arizona Cardinals team as they move through the season here. Um, and I will get back to you either here on the show live or in the comments afterwards. So, uh, the other thing that, uh, I mean, that's really all I had on, on, on week four, there's only two real interesting games going on other than the fact that I was disgusted by the Vikings. So, um, we can kick on over to, to the week five preview, which should be fun. And I'm going to steam through this here Cause we we're right on time today, folks. We got about 15 minutes before we're going to be giant joined by Nash from, uh, Twins Daily. So uh, week five, there are some exciting games going on. Obviously, we are knee-deep in the NFL season now. And with that being said, there are some games that you should be paying attention to if you want quality football content. And I'm going to tell you what they are. Uh, We can start with tonight's Thursday night preview. Uh, We've got Seattle versus the Rams. The Rams are going to need to bounce back. Or... Can the Seattle Seahawks pull themselves up out of the bottom of that cannibalistic division and bring the Rams back to the pack, which is only going to make this race more and more interesting? I mean, If you look at it, when these two teams square off, whether it's in the playoffs or whether it's in the regular season, you never know who's going to win because it's DK versus Jalen Ramsey. Uh, That linebacking core versus Sean McVay, the smarts, offensive versus defensive line with Aaron Donald you know, two electrifying quarterbacks and Matt Stafford and Russell Wilson. This could be a ten, a 20-point over-under game. This could be a 50-point over-under game. And it's going to be good football. This is the kind of stuff I like to see on Thursdays. This gets me excited for the weekend. Um, I, I do think that with the way that uh, Matt Stafford has been playing and the way that that offense is going to be able to rebound at the smarts that Sean McVay has, understanding now that he is going to have to keep pace with the Cardinals and not the other way around, that we are going to get a highly motivated Rams team. And often in the NFL, Colin Cowherd says this all the time, a good football team that gets embarrassed, never loses two weeks in a row. They come back with a vengeance in that second week. Well, the Rams just got embarrassed. So my pick for this week is going to be the Rams over Seattle
0: in probably a 24 to 10 win. Say it looks like Nash has joined us in the waiting room here. Fantastic. work.
1: Yeah. yeah um we can uh if you want to you can ask him if he's ready and we can kick on over to him early if you want otherwise i know i asked him to dial in at
0: 11 45 to catch a piece of the show before uh he got on at noon okay well i just admitted him into the waiting room we'll see what uh there we are fantastic let me just get him
2: how are you guys doing can you hear me
0: i can hear you you got him yeah. nick absolutely you you? i got him too all right thank you for joining us man this is the producer gabe i'll turn it over to you and nick yeah. Yeah.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, I guess. So we'll take a, we'll, we'll put a pause here on the week five uh, preview for the NFL. Cause I got a guest with us. Who's actually got a skull picture up in the background. If you can see it in twins, daily writer and locked on twins podcast host uh, Nash Walker uh, here to talk the twins. As we wrap up the off season, buddy, how are you? Thank you for joining us and glad to have you.
2: I'm good. Thank you so much. I love the background. It's a little uh, fuller than mine, for sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, love the show. Love uh, the Vikings talk, and and I'm hoping we can get a win here Sunday against the Lions. But. Taking a little bit of a break now for a couple of days, just kind of decompressing with the baseball season, but uh, definitely watching the Vikes too and uh, enjoying what you guys are doing.
1: Absolutely, man. I appreciate it. Taking a taking a couple of days worth of break from the Twins. Have you been paying attention to some of the stuff that's been going on in these wild card games as we get ready for the postseason, which maybe eventually the Twins will be a part of again at some point, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And and Tom Froming, uh, who writes with us at Twins Daily, made a really good point. It's a lot harder to watch the playoffs after the Twins are eliminated because you watch these teams that beat them and you're watching, you know, the Yankees or the Astros or whoever it might be. It's not as fun, but when they're eliminated, it's easier to get into it because they were never part of the field, right? So it's, it's been fun already. And um, to see fans back is really special too, because we just didn't, didn't have that last year.
1: Yeah, for sure. October baseball with fans is a different atmosphere. Like watching that game. Oh, it was insane.
2: So fun. So much fun. And I was at game three, uh, two years ago when the Twins played the Yankees and and lost. And like the atmosphere there too, to see Twins fans come out that year, I think showed us a lot about what can be, you know, and what like, it's a great fan base, uh, smart fan base. And like, you can see they'll come out and they'll show out when the Twins are good, you know, and I'm, I'm looking forward, like you said, I'm looking forward to the next time we get that for sure.
1: Well, I mean, that'll lead me right into my first set of questions here. How long is that going to be? Me and Mike talked about it uh, somewhere around the midway point in the season this year. There's a lot of young talent coming up in this Twins organization. Guys like Rice Lewis, Austin Martin, uh, Jordan Balazovic, I believe is how you pronounce that wonky last name. Um, You know, Duran is on his way up. Joe Ryan looks to be an absolute stud. Plus, you've got guys that are still around with the ball club like Polanco and Sano and we'll get to Buxton here in a minute, but it seems to me that the twins are kind of reverting back to uh, that, that farm them up, you know, thing that won us a bunch of uh, divisions or pennants or whatever back in the early two thousands. Is that kind of what you're seeing as well?
2: There's a couple of factors. I think the playoffs will be expanded in this CBA, this, this winter, which is a big deal. I'm, I think for the twins, because you look at the White Sox and what they've kind of built there and they're going to be difficult. It's going to be tough to take them down in the next handful of years. I think next year, the White Sox will be at their kind of pinnacle. These guys are that they extended Aloy Jimenez, Luis Robert, all these guys are still cheap on their extensions. So, and Jerry Reinsdorf is spending money now, you know, he's looking and I think he's saying, I only have so many seasons left, so I'm going to spend money on this roster, especially when those guys are so cheap. So I think the Sox are going to be formidable for um, the next handful of years. I don't think that means that the twins can't be competitive with them. I think the twins can still be competitive with them as early as next year. And maybe I'm just, you know, i i drink the, 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 uh, oil there and I just think that they can, they can get it done, but there is a lot of talent in the system and I cover the prospects. Uh, you know, I, I one through 50, uh, prospect <laughs> profiles. So I, I definitely see what they have coming and there's, there's a lot of hope here. I mean, they traded Nelson Cruz, like you said, for Joe Ryan and uh, Drew Strotman, Austin Martin, Simeon Woods, Richardson, they really added a lot to this system just by training Jose Brios and Nelson Cruz. And I think you could see some more turnover this offseason, and we can get to it with Buxton too. But I think there's a really good chance that guys like Garver, guys like Kepler, you know, guys like Sano, I think those, I think they're going to be available. And I think as twins fans, you have to think and ask yourself. Is if 2022 is kind of this stepping stone, what's the best thing for us long-term if we want to see sustained success? As you're saying, like, if we if you want to see a handful of of years where they're winning division titles, that's what this was supposed to be. Yeah. And th- this year was just a complete flop in that regard. I mean, we all expected them to compete for the, the Central again and yep. get back into the postseason, put their hat in the ring. But what you're looking for is multiple years of being competitive, like when Maurer, Morneau, and Kadair, and all those guys in, in the odds every single year being competitive until 2011 when they just kind of fell off, and then that was five years of not being good. That's what they're trying to avoid here. I don't see it just because I think that this system is strong. I think they have arms that are coming. I have some faith still in Derek Falvey and Thadavine in in developing in this system, and I'm hopeful. And in this division, like Detroit's coming. I think Detroit's going to be solid in the next couple of years. I think they're going to sign Carlos Correa. That's my prediction for them. Their big move. Uh, So I think Detroit will be good. Uh, not, you know, maybe around 500 the next couple of years, but in Kansas city has some good prospects too. And MJ Melendez and uh, Bobby, what's the best prospect in baseball, but it's still the American league central. I mean, it's not the AL East. You're not the Orioles and the, you're not last place in right. the East. Where you're looking up and you think we are so deep in this abyss and it's going to take years for us to even get close. It's the American league central. Like you can have a couple of good off seasons develop a couple of good players or, or one star and you can be right back in the mix. So I'm not, I'm not pessimistic about their chances. Even in 2022, I think they have a chance to get back in the conversation, but I do think 2023 is what we're eyeing for. Like, okay, we're back to being competitive in a new window and I'm hopeful. I don't think it'll be a, a full on rebuild. Like Derek Falvey said the other day, we're not using that word. We're not tearing this thing down. Like I, I think they're committed to, trying to invest in next year's team, but even more so in 2023 and 2024.
1: Okay. And and that's an interesting thing that you brought up there. Cause I heard that at the trade deadline with the Nelson Cruz deal, that the poll ads firmly stand in the, pre, you know, the baseball operations president, everything stood on, Hey, we're not doing a rebuild. But if you look at the history of Minnesota sports teams, much like what you see with the Dallas Cowboys, right. Is they never seem to bottom out in order to mm-hmm. rebound. Right. And you see it, and obviously we've got some good draft picks. Royce Lewis was a number one pick. And that happened in a season where we completely bottomed out. And that guy is a put when he's healthy, he's a player. Um, you yeah. know, and that's how we've developed some of our younger talent throughout the years. Why is it that we consistently stand on this? Hey, this isn't a rebuild, this is going to be a competitive ball club, but at the same time, you don't see them making the aggressive moves at the trade deadline or um for uh, the aggressive moves at the trade deadline are in free agency to go address like a true dominant ace. Mike, you know, thinks that Barrios obviously wasn't that and we differ in opinion and we'll see what Joe Ryan turns into, but there have been arms. There have been guys out there in the last couple of years, especially when we were kind of coming off the height of being the Bomba squad that I feel like would have allowed us to take that next step. And then, you know, I, I kind of call our, our sloth in the background here, Mr. Polad doesn't just kind of <laughs> seems to keep his wallet shut and doesn't allow us to truly grow into a competitive ball club, that can be a consistent winner, which uh, from a business standpoint, and I love to talk numbers, would only bring him more money by putting butts in seats.
2: Yeah, no question about it. I, I totally agree with you because I think the biggest mistake that they made in the last three years, I don't think I don't think it was even Alexander Coleman, Jay Happ, and Matt Shoemaker, like that group of signings, which was disastrous. The biggest mistake that they made to me was not – going for it more at the 19 deadline because they were sitting there with this team that wasn't ex- – I mean, that, I think the over under on that team, they were expected to be right around 500, which right. I think is what they'll probably be in 2022. But you, you had this team, and you had a fan base that was so hungry and that was back, and, like, target field was just rocking in 2019. Like, with Nelly there and with the way that he – and the, the whole lineup just clicking together, they needed to go get someone who could start games to a Yankee Stadium. Yep. They needed that. And I know that they were they were trying to get Marcus Stroman like that was something that they were focused on doing. I think they're going to be back in the mix for him this offseason. I'm hopeful they will be. They wanted Marcus Stroman. The Jays didn't call back, ended up trading them to the Mets, but they needed to go do something. So Randy Domack wasn't starting game two at Yankee Stadium, but also they expected Michael Pineda to be available and he was uh, suspended, of course. Like that's that's what we we've come to know. Things go wrong, too. But that I, to me, that was the biggest mistake that they made. And when you mentioned, like, why don't they go for it? Why don't they go do it? Yeah, I think when you have a sustained success model, like your focus is we want to have sustained success. That has to come with the caveat that once we see that we are one of the best teams in the American League, undoubtedly in 2019, one of the best teams in the American League, we're going to go make a move so we can put our, ourselves in a, in a spot where we can win in October. And they just didn't do that in 2019. And even then, I I felt good going into that Yankees series. Like, even though it was the Yankees, I don't know how you couldn't, even though the Twins were really banged up, yeah. just the way that they played all year and how good their offense was and, and how well they pitched, too. Like, Jake Odorizzi was awesome. Brios had a Brios year, all-star. You know, they had pitching, uh, and the bullpen was great, but they just kind of, they decombusted. They needed to do something at that deadline. Uh, signing Josh Donaldson was awesome. I mean, obviously, that was, that was something that, I was really pulling for all offseason. Like I said, Donald, bring him in, put him at third base, move Miggy over to first, and, like, let's get rolling. I-, I love that. Training for Maeda worked in 2020. So they- they've they made some good moves, and they've made some aggressive moves, but I see exactly what you're saying. Like, once you recognize it, you got to go do it. And that goes back to Terry Ryan, too, Like yep. when they had really good teams. Just not getting that one extra guy. It seems like they, they never have really done that. Uh, and I'm hopeful that they've learned and that next time, like if, if they break out in the first half of 2022, and uh, we'll talk about Buxton, they need Buxton to do that. But if they break out in the first half of 2022 at that deadline, thinking, okay, let's go do it. On the flip side of that coin, look at the Padres, right? They, right. they recognize this window. They went for it. They go get Joe Musgrove. They go get you Darvish Blake's now, and they miss the playoffs. Like yep. it doesn't guarantee you anything, but for a fan base, it's, I can see it's really nice when that happens, because you f- you feel like they care, and you feel like they're spending that money, and you feel like they see what you see, and I felt that with the Donaldson signing, like they they saw an opportunity to get better, whether that was in the rotation, whether that was at third base, they saw a, an opportunity to improve, and they took advantage of it. That's all we're asking for.
1: Yeah, no, I agree with you, and and we've had actually a lot of questions about this. So Gabe Noah actually our, the producer, has a a question, and this is something that we've touched on multiple times. What do you think uh, the 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 process is moving forward with Josh Donaldson is, was his injury and and his inability to stay healthy this year. And I'm going to tie this into when we start talking about Buxton, which we've now teased about six times. So stay tuned folks, but with (laughs) him being so unavailable to the team at the dollar amount that he's available to the team at with us pretty typically having a lower, uh, you know, budget for our roster throughout the season, what is the feeling inside the organization or around the organization with him moving forward? Can he stay healthy and can he produce?
2: I think there's a sense with him because we watched him and I was in Milwaukee on opening day and it was it was just heart-wrenching to see him run first and, and pull his hammy on opening day, like after how 2020 went, missing the postseason. Like this is our big marquee signing, one of you know the biggest signing in, in Twins history and free agency. That sucked and I think that sticks on everyone's mind. From that point forward, he played 135 games this year and I think he was second... In, on the team and played appearances to Polanco and produced. Uh, I think he finished as the third best American League third baseman offensively. Defense took a tick down. I think he was more average defensively, but he was definitely an asset when he was on the field. But you're right. Like, that's, that's a big number, especially for a team that's not sure if it's like, if they're competing fully in 2022 or not and he's 35 and like, he, I think he's going into his age 36 season now. For him, like, does he really want to oversee that? I think there are question marks. And then the biggest thing for me, this is the biggest factor. It's not the money. It's not him, you know, his calves or his legs. It's Jose Miranda, who just won Twins Minor League Player of the Year. He was a first team all-minor league, you know, third baseman. Was just phenomenal. Like, such a joy to cover this year. Uh, Jose Miranda was amazing. His breakout. They left him unprotected from the 40-man last year. That would have been another disaster. Yeah. Luckily, no one took him in the row 5 draft. But Miranda's a third baseman. Like, he can play second. He can play first. I think I I see his future at third base, and and you don't stick him there, and you know the Twins value that flexibility, but that's a big factor. You're looking at Donaldson, who I think's owed twenty one seven five next year, and then Miranda, who would be the league minimum, you know yeah. six hundred sixty thousand or whatever that might be. And you're looking toward the future and thinking, is Miranda part of our core with Austin Martin and Royce Lewis? And I think there's no question that he is, yeah. and he's got to prove it. He's got to see major league pitching, but he's a player that. He was flawless this year. When I say, you know, he hit 30 home runs, but he struck out, in, I think, 12% of his at-bats yeah. overall. Like, he's not selling out for power. He's not selling out for contact. He hit 330 with 30 homers and 30 doubles. Like, he did everything this year. Defensively, you know, he's probably average-ish at third base, and, and he's not Josh Donaldson. He's not going to step in and be Josh Donaldson, but that's a huge factor, and I think that makes it so interesting for next year. I think there's a chance that Donaldson's traded. I think it matters what he says. Like, if he says, hey, I want to go to a competitor, I think they'll obviously be much more aggressive in trading him. Mm-hmm. But there is value in having that having Donaldson on the roster as a leadership figure. And I think Twins fans have soured on him, and I can understand why. Mm-hmm. But when Nelly left, like, I saw Donaldson at the end of this year become that figure for them like in their post-game interviews they're asking Josh about guys they're saying hey what do you think about Nick Gordon what do you think about Mitch Garber what do you think about and he's he kind of took that role and and played out the season so I could see them keeping him for that that reason definitely but I do see the money aspect like they need pitching in any way they can get it and if eating some money on Donaldson's contract to free up something for a starter I think you have to pull the trigger on that in a lot of ways but it's really hard because in 2022, your best chance to win is with Donaldson at third base. Miranda's an unknown commodity, and, and he could be great right away. But you, I think your best chance to win next year is if he's there because he's still a very good player when he's on the field.
1: Now, and, and I agree. There's Obviously, I feel like it's one of those situations where, once again, the Twins are kind of stuck in the middle. It's, it's six of one, half a dozen of the other, uh, which is always a tough thing to deal with when, when you're a franchise, right? Because no move you make regardless of – how it goes is going to be the right move for one side and the wrong move for the other. Um, But, you know, moving into, uh, you know, just the last thing on these prospects, how many of them, and the guys that I really wanted to to focus on here, Royce Lewis and his health, I know that they've got him designated for double a ball, but Austin Martin, Jordan, Woods, Richardson, Duran, Joe Ryan, and Miranda seem to be all guys that are set to be everyday or, or very well could be, you know, everyday starters for them in 2022 are the twins looking at this as an opportunity? Like, yep, that's what we need to commit to in order to grow a young core that as the White Sox, as the Royals, as the Indians begin to, you know, make a push and they've kind of reestablished their young core and try to make this a viable division again, that the twins are like, even if we kind of may need to eat a little bit of crow in 2022, it'll be with young talent that in 2023 will be, you know, rock solid, steady, ready to play 162 games and make a
2: playoff run. I think you're right on the money. I think they're going to take. They have to ask, and I think as, as fans too, like we think about this all the time. Think about this current core and say who – I think there's there's a souring of the current core. The current core is 0-6 in the playoffs. The current core just won 73 games, and, and a lot of it was not, you know, some of those guys had good years. Like Buxton and Polanco was tremendous all year. So yep. he's – and that leads me into who are you keeping into this next core? Who do you want to keep, and who do you want to leave behind? And you have to ask yourself this offseason and say, who do we want to cash in on? And I think Max Kepler and Miguel Sano and Mitch Garver in this current core, you have to say, who do we want to carry over into the Austin Martin, Royce Lewis, hopefully Royce Lewis when he's healthy. Um, you know, all those arms you mentioned, Jordan Valzavik and, and Duran and, and Miranda and, and all those guys, who do we want to keep? And I think there's something really exciting about having a new core and thinking about the next core. And, and you know, when you mentioned the White Sox, they had this core of Jimenez, Robert, Mancada. You know, Abreu is the leader in that. But that's so exciting. And Tim Anderson, of course, to think about that, oh, we have this core for the next six or seven years. Yeah. I think they're stuck in the middle right now. Of That was a really disappointing year, the Twins. And we don't know how long we're going to have these guys. So as fans, it's hard to buy in, I think, to this current core at this point in time. And I think when you, yeah, I, I think you're right. About 2022, there's a chance that they just use that as a stepping stone for 2023, and that's why I really say 2023 is going to be a year in which they are back to being competitive, and that doesn't mean 2022 is sold out, but that means 2023, I think, is a year when they're going to be more competitive. Um, but, yes, Gabe, for sure, at the Saints game, <laughs> it was a good first year for them. I mean, I think they had a good first year. It was fun. The interesting part is, like, a lot of the top prospects are usually at AA. Wichita was an electric factory this year at A. Super fun to watch. Uh, I think there's a chance Miranda starts at A and he's he was must-watch all year. Um, I think Jordan Balazovic will be at triple-A. I think Duran will start at triple-A. I think they're going to have a nasty rotation to start the year at triple-A. So you want to go see those young pitchers and, and see them before they join the Twins. But that's the thing, too. All these guys, their top prospects, you look at their top 10, even their top 15, almost every single one is at double-A AA or AAA. So then you you say to yourself, OK, I'm hoping that these guys are up in 2023 as Core members up in 2023 and 2024. When they traded for, you know, when they traded Nelson Cruz and they traded uh, Jose Barrios, they weren't looking for 17 year olds. They weren't looking for these high school prospects. They wanted upper minors, you know, yes, established. Like Austin Martin went right to double A out of Vanderbilt. They wanted upper minors, established players that can help them in 2023, I think is what they were thinking. I mean, like, I think Austin Martin will be up hopefully in 2022. I think Valazavic has a chance. I think these guys have a chance but you're looking at 2023, they can still invest in 2022. They have 60 million or something committed. So they they have a lot of money to spend for next year. Mm -hmm. And actually what you're thinking here is, okay, if we think 2023 is our year to start this next wave, why not go sign Marcus Stroman for five years? I mean, he'll be here and help you in 2022, but then he'll help you in 2023 and 2024 when that course coming up and helps you in your next wave. So that doesn't limit you to one year deals this offseason. You can say, Hey, we're going to sign, you know, Marcus Stroman or yeah, Marcus Stroman or Marcus Semien, or Kevin Gaussman or whoever it might be, because not only can they help us compete and be respectable in 22, but we're looking at 23 as our big year, and they'll be here then in the middle of their primes. So that's that's why it's a fun offseason to think about because they're not limited to anything even more so than last year. I think they were limited in some ways to one-year deals last year um, because they they wanted to see and they were playing out this current core and kind of filling in some holes and wanted to see where prospects were at. But now you've had the breakout of Miranda. You've had some breakouts on the pitching side with Louis Barlow and the St. Paul kid. Um, you've had some big things happen. So I think they're in a position to get really aggressive this offseason. I think it's the most interesting offseason that they will have at the helm and the most important offseason they will have at the helm of this current regime.
1: And I agree. So let's let's talk about what's going to headline You know the direction that a lot of this team goes in. the The ever polarizing Byron Buxton, who I love. I mean, you look at the, mm-hmm. the the systematic development of twin center fielders throughout history, you know, Puckett, Hunter, even uh, Gomez, when he was here, was touted by some of the, and I love that mug, by the way, um, go Twins. <laughs> um, but but even Gomez was touted by some of the scouts that were close to the organization as having one of the most pure swings that that they had seen come through the organization in a long time just to be followed up by... Byron Buxton here, and I'm, I'm an avid follower of, of Gleeman uh, on Twitter, and you see him spit out these stats over the last 162 games. He's got the highest slugging percentage of, of a twin in history, uh, over 680. He's hit 41 home runs. He's hitting over 330. Duh, 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 duh. But the guy's played seven years for the twins, and he's averaging 70 games a year. How can you sit back and especially if you're Buxton, which I think he did make the right move. But when the twins offer him, what what was it like five for 80 or eight for 80 and just walk away from that without, you know, with knowing that you're not available all the time And the best ability in any sport, I feel like is availability.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, of course, this is the twins with a decision like this, because it, <laughs> it's a franchise altering decision. I, yeah. I will continue to mention it as that because. There, it's no. there's no question now. Like, you saw in 2019 what he can do. Like, he gave us a glimpse of what he can do at the plate, developing as a hitter. We already knew he's the best center fielder in the game, but showed you a little bit in 2019 before he ran into that wall in Miami what he's capable of doing. I think the Twins were something like 53-21 and 21 when Buxton started. And there's no player on this roster in the last three years who has a bigger impact on their chance of winning yep. than Byron Buxton. That includes Nelson Cruz. That includes Donaldson, whoever their best players have been. He's far and away the best. When he's on the field and he showed us that in 2019 comes back in 2020, you know, gets hurt in uh, summer camp, but ends up coming back very quickly. I think he was back in the second series and did the same thing he's done. He was a, a complete impact player. They were so much better when he was on the field and then gets hit in the head with a pitch in the, in the last series against Cincinnati at home. Uh, right. Lucas Sims hit him. And I think Lucas Sims broke his arm this year, too, when I was at the game or broke his, his hand. Yeah. So that, that happened twice to the Reds. But yeah, that sucked. And then he misses the playoffs or, or played in, I think he played in game one, but just wasn't right. Like he just didn't look right at all. He wasn't the the Byron that we know. And then comes back this year and puts together the best month we've ever seen by a twin in April. Yep. The most incredible month in a time when, I talked about this the other day on the podcast, in a time when the twins were so, they went two and 13 in a stretch. I think their offense at like 205 with a 600 OPS. That was bad. And that was with Byron Buxton hitting I don't know. Right under 400 with an OPS over a thousand and a ton of homers and doubles. Right. Uh, so he was uh, he was the only one really playing well at that time, <laughs> in that point of the season. But every time he's on the field, every single night that he's on the field, he does something that gives you a chance to win. But you're exactly right. He's played an average of what seventy, 70 games. games or whatever it is. Yeah, seventy games. So he played he plays thirty or forty percent of games every year. But when he plays in those games. He's so electric and so good and so impactful that it's a it is a really difficult decision for the future and his, his value is impossible to peg. But now we know, even after twenty twenty, it was still in question. Like, okay, he's had a good he's had a good one hundred games, whatever it was, one hundred twenty games. I think it was confirmed this year that he is his hands are so quick. And he talked about this, and I know Aaron and John have talked about it too. Yep. But his hands are so quick on fastballs now I'm like he's just really hit his stride offensively and and like I said he's already the best defensive center fielder in the game so now you have this all-around unbelievable player he's an unbelievable player but yes for a team like the twins like if you're the Dodgers or the Yankees and I I don't like you can say and there's argument like you know even if he plays 60 games he's going to give you that value on his contract it's hard to think that way because if you make the playoffs too, and he's not playing in the playoffs either, right. like it's it's just hard to put yourself in that mindset too, because what are you doing then? You're putting Max Kepler in center field, and, and that's a drop-off not only offensively, defensively. But massively, yep. defensively, and on the base pass too. So that's a huge drop off there. Like you you have to consider all those things. For a team like the Yankees or the Dodgers, they can they can make that risk and be okay with it. There's no question about it. I mean, look at the Donaldson contract everyone looks at the Donaldson contract now and thinks like, Oh, they can't afford that now. Like if he's not going to be out there and he's not going to be an all-star player, like they can't have that on the books because it's the twins. Yeah. Totally understandable to think that way. And and Joe Maurer too, like look at Joe Maurer and, and there was so much angst and anxiety about his contract being on the books because there's this sense in twins territory that like we need to be so, cause it's yeah, it's, I mean the Polad way too, we've been kind of books to think that way. Yeah, there's the slot, but we think that like, we have to be so weary about what's being spent because there's only so much that's being spent. There's only so much money that's, that's allocated. For me, Byron Buxton, as a player, as a person, as a leader and as a guy that you brought up, he's in the Joe Maurer category for me. There, There has to be a category. Even if you're the twins, if you're the twins, if you're the Tampa Bay Rays, if you're the Oakland athletics, there has to be a category for you of players that you say No matter if he plays or not, no matter if this works out or not, he's gonna be a twin when it happens. And Buxton falls into that for me. He's in the Maurer category. I agree. Morneau, like Morneau left, like I think he's he was in that category too of like players you developed. You mentioned you love Buxton, even understanding that like availability is so important. He's such a fan favorite. People just watch the twins to watch Buxton when he's on the field. He's in that category for me. And I wanna see it. And even if they sign him for eight years and hundred million and the contract is an albatross and he doesn't play and he tears his AC out, he's out for two years and then gets hurt. He, like, even if that happens, I will be grateful. And maybe it's easier to say now that they took a chance on him as a person and player, because he's just the type of guy that you want to invest in, in my eyes. And, and that sounds crazy. Cause like who would invest in a player like that? Who's never really on the field for prolonged periods, but because he's so good and because of the person and because of the way that his trajectory has gone, he's not someone that twins fans want to see go. Like you look, it's incredible. You look at at the Twitter, you look at like Twitter replies, and, and that's not always the best thing to go off <laughs> of, but like athletic comments or whatever yeah. you might see at Twins Daily, we see it all the time. Pay the man, pay the man, pay the man, and you think to yourself, he's never healthy. And like, so what must what must be for people to still think that way? Mm-hmm. Must be that he's amazing, and it must be that they love him. Yep. Th- those two things are true, and those are true in a huge way. And it's not our money. So to me, like sign him, and whatever happens happens because if he does stay healthy even for 125 and i think there's a bar like i don't think if he stays healthy for 80 games he'll provide you all that value i don't necessarily believe in that but 125 130 in that range my goodness like just think about what we're gonna get it's it it would be the most incredible thing
1: right and so and my thought was so everybody's saying pay him, which i agree you have to but then you have to do it under you have to do it under a salary and this will we'll get to (laughs) Gabe, everyone wants to be rid of him until he goes <laughs> to the Yankees, right? And then we'll ask for yeah, him back. Exactly. Right? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, but and and my thing is, you know, there's a lot of different ways that you can do this. Baseball is, and it's hard to personify or or, or kind of calculate what the contract should be because this is a sport where there isn't a salary cap, right? There isn't an allocated amount of funds that can be spent on every team. So I think a lot of the frustration and twi- you know from Twins fans comes from, well, we could just pay them like every other team does with Stanton and Harper and you know, all these other guys that are getting these massive deals. But outside of that, there are other things that have been put into baseball contracts that have been wonky for years. And when you look around the other pieces or the other major sports right now, LeBron James, $3 million a year into his body, Tom Brady with TB12, some of the things that Kobe did going overseas before he passed at the end of his playing career, getting treatments to make sure that he was going to be ready and available to be worth the money that he wanted to make. Can the twins not go to the table with Buxton and be like, hey, you know what? I know you don't want eight and eighties too low. I've seen offers come in. Let's do six, for 125, but you got to promise me that $2.5 million per year of that money is going to go into a treatment team to make sure that you are ready before the season, pliability during the season. And then when we get to the postseason, that you will be available because that's the only way that you would be worth the kind of money that you're asking for. And we want you to be here. I feel like that is the middle ground that everybody is kind of missing right here that needs to be addressed because that is an opportunity that the, the twins can take what's worse worst yeah. going to happen he's going to leave right now it looks like he's leaving anyways
2: yeah thanks Gabe by the way um yeah I think that's interesting it's an interesting point but this also I mean he broke his tooth bite down on a piece of steak in spring training like he he's had things happen to him he got hit in the hand I was at that game this year he got hit in the hand and you just think to yourself and I can't even imagine for him like yes there have been points like running into that wall in Miami avoidable uh you know he's catches where his face slams into the turf avoidable you know those things are avoidable and I think he has taken strides to try to avoid those things like I watched this year him him have you know he watched a lot of balls fall in front of him I think he let balls go over his head when he might have not in in recent years he got hit on the hand he's running to first and, and tears his hip you know things like that I agree with you. Like there, there could be that in there. I think part of it is that he, his body's not used to playing every single day for a full six month season. So you just know at a certain point, it feels like at a certain point in the season, he's just going to kind of, when your body, when you're tired and you're weak, like you're definitely, I think at an increased chance of injury at that point. Um, But yeah, that's an interesting point. It kind of makes me think about incentives too, because (laughs) I've always thought they should give him, you know, guarantee him a hefty sum. Like you have to take that risk because he's not going to take the contract otherwise. But for me, if he gives you, I think you have escalators. If he gives you 200 plate appearances, you give him two million. If he gives you 300, you give him three million. If he gives you 400, you give him six million. Then if he gives you 600 million or 600 plate appearances, uh, add that up to like 12 million. And I've I've explained this like if you guarantee him 20 15. million in a season oh, and yeah, then he gives 15. you 600 plate appearances you guarantee him yeah.
1: 15 and if it's 12 that puts him at 27 right 27 a year would put oh. him on on par with guys like Gwen Carlos Stanton Bryce Harper yeah. some of the other big names in the league but that puts him on the field and makes him show that he has right. to do it but my other question is then are you in a place where when he's not completely healthy he comes back a week two weeks early to make sure he gets his plate appearances in and we never do get to see you know a completely healthy Byron Buxton like he's it's almost like he's a detriment to himself I mean if we got to wrap him in bubble wrap to send him out there let's do it
2: but yeah yeah I I, again I think he has and I think he understands I think he understands the changes that he had to make and I again like when I watch him I do see a different player you used to see reckless abandon in the outfield Mm -hmm. I just don't I don't think he plays that way anymore especially when in April and when he came back in, in this September I think he was like okay I, I don't want to be out again. Like I think it it finally clicked for him in that way. Like I don't want to. I don't want to be out. Now, does that guarantee anything? No. He can still tear a hit muscle running to first base. He can still get hit with a pitch. Like that doesn't. But I think him himself, he's protecting himself more than we've seen in recent years. At yeah. least from the naked eye. I'm not just saying that because like I want the twins to extend him or I want this to happen. I think that that's true. You watch him kind of prance more in the outfield, which is great, and he's not going to make all those amazing catches that he is capable of making. That's why he did it before, because he knows he can make the catch, but mm-hmm. he's going to put his body at risk. But hes I think he's taking more strides, trying to be healthier, trying not to put himself in harm's way. You need that. like You need to see that if you're the twins. If he was continuing to run into walls, continuing to slam his face on the ground, making catches, things like that, I think at that point you you think about the conversation differently. But if you're gonna invest and you're gonna to try to take a gamble, you need that commitment from him that he's gonna make changes. And I think in a lot of ways he has, you're not gonna completely take it away. You remember Tori, like Tori used to do the same thing. Yep. He's like, I see a ball, see ball, catch ball. Like I'm nothing drops but rain, nothing falls but raindrops. That's the, the motto of the outfield. <laughs> like that's Buxton's motto. Yep. But that that motto will put your body at risk. 100%. And he's gonna make catches that put his body at risk but it's the, I don't, I'm not even thinking about my body risk that he needs to eliminate. And they, I think they try to make the warning track bigger in 2020 for him at target field so he could feel it quicker. Yeah. Like they do things to try to prevent him from, from running into the wall or falling and hitting his face or whatever. He's going to continue to make plays like that from time to time. But I think overall, he's starting to think about his body more because he's going to be 29. I think it'll be his age 29 season. And he's thinking, hey man, I want to be on the field. Like I want to, he just wants to play and he knows what he can do now. So, I mean, if you saw yourself and and you saw the numbers you were putting up at the plate like that, and you know who you are defensively, I would do whatever it takes. And I think he's doing whatever it takes to try to stay on the field and produce because not only for himself, the money, but also like he sees the impact he has on the twins as well. He knows like they have such a better chance of winning when he plays.
1: No, I would agree with you. And these are the kind of takes, ladies and gentlemen, that you can find on Locked on <laughs> Twins and at Twins Daily. Uh, anything else that or anywhere else that they can find you there, uh, Nash?
2: Yeah, Twitter at Nashwalker9. You can follow the show at Locked on Twins. Um, like I said, like this season is going to be really fun. I actually love the off season. I love the six months of free agent profiles, trade profiles. I'll break down specific <laughs> trades for specific players. Uh, We have an off-season handbook coming out at twinsdaily.com. You can pre-order for 10 bucks. Super great resource for you if you want to read everything. And, you know, there's a rebuild or retool article in there. I wrote an article about four starting pitchers the Twins could trade for. It's under 1,000 words. Um, Really interesting stuff in there. So if you want to check that out, you can. And yeah, you can find me five days a week, Locked Out Twins on Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much for having me, guys. I really appreciate it.
1: Absolutely, man. We will definitely be having you back, hopefully, as the the, the off-season rolls on and then as we ramp up for the 2022 season with all the exciting things that the Twins have going on. Can't thank you enough for for the first of what we hope as many appearances as our guy for the Minnesota Twins, ladies and gentlemen, Nash Walker.
2: Thanks, guys. See you, buddy.
1: Wow, what a what a well of knowledge on the Minnesota Twins. He's a freak. That That guy is great. I don't, I could have talked to him for the next two and a half hours. I might call him back after the show. I was worried about that. (laughs) Jeez.
0: (laughs) But uh,
1: that was incredible folks. Uh, Nash Walker is uh, somebody that we will definitely be having back. So with that being said, Let us know what you guys think the Twins should be doing with Byron Buxton. What is going to be happening during the offseason? Are they going to try to compete in 2022? Or is this really a long-term play for 2023 uh, with some of the youth that we have coming up? What's the expectation for those guys? We'll love to hear all of that in the comments. Uh, Get back to us, and we will get back to you. Um, I will speed through the rest of the show to make sure I don't chew up all of uh, Gabe's day here. (laughs) Um, uh, Going back to the NFL for some of the Week 5 previews as we don't have much left to talk about. Um, You know, We had covered the... Uh, The Thursday night game, the noon window, pretty simple guys. Um, Green Bay versus Cincinnati is going to be a good matchup. Um, This is a hot Cincinnati team that seems to be clicking on all cylinders on offense. And the Green Bay Packers, I know they just signed Jalen Smith, but he's probably not going to have much of an impact this week. Uh, They're also down Zedarius Smith as well and some other defensive weapons. They don't really have a corner. So this looks like the recipe for an upset. Do not be surprised if Cincinnati comes into this game and they wind up taking it from Green Bay uh, in, a, in a fashion that would surprise a lot of people. I know Aaron Rodgers will obviously probably be in this all the way down to the fourth quarter. But I like I said, I think Cincinnati, Cincinnati's got a little too much on the offensive side of the ball and enough defensively to sustain with those safeties, being able to bracket cover Devontae Adams and take away Bob Tunyon and really just make it an Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Jones type game. And they come away with a win in this 21-24. to 24. So let us know what you guys think on that one. Uh, Otherwise, going to Sunday night football, prepare for about 100 points. Bills Chiefs is going to be a good game. Um, I didn't even know that the Kansas City Chiefs had a defensive roster this year um, with the way that they've been playing defense. 31st in the league versus a Buffalo Bills team who minus a hiccup against the Pittsburgh Steelers has been lights out and Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs and Emmanuel Sanders and everybody that they have on that offense has just been straight rolling, hanging 40 on everybody that they come into contact with. Of course, it's a uh, real hard to bet against Patrick Mahomes, as Gabe mentioned before the show, but I think the bills are going to start to surprise some people on what they're capable of. This might be the year where they make that Super Bowl appearance. If they continue to play the way that they were going to be playing Uh, So pay attention to that game as well. I didn't
0: realize that was the number one defense versus the the, whatever second to the last. Absolutely. Wow. That's that's just interesting in how lopsided it is.
1: Right. And if you look at the Chiefs, it's just one of those things where like, uh, okay, so Jalen Smith and Stephon Gilmore were available yesterday. Stephon Gilmore got moved for a six round pick. Jalen Smith was signed off free agent waivers. If you're the 31st worst offense in the league and you have the second best offense, how do you not go get those guys? How do you not go address the defense and allow this to start to turn the corner? Because, I mean, they're 2-2, two and two, folks. The Raiders are a good football team, and the rest of the NFL is going to continue to move forward. And if they just continue to be Swiss cheese, I'm not saying they're going to miss the playoffs, but there's no way that they make a Super Bowl play in the way that they're currently playing. It's, that's, it's going to be tough. So that'll be a good game to tune into. I will definitely be strapped up for that one. And then on Monday night, Baltimore versus Indy. Both of these teams racked with injury. Lamar Jackson playing absolutely out of his gourd as a quarterback. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He has a couple of turnovers here and there, but if you stop looking at the quarterback position as the quarterback and just start calling it the playmaker position, Lamar Jackson is undoubtedly the best player in the NFL at being a playmaker. He wins 80% of his regular season games. He's going to be like the Tomlin of quarterbacks. He's never going to miss the playoffs. No matter how many guys are hurt. And, He started to throw the ball around a little bit last week, and you better hope that Darius Leonard and that defensive front, which is designed to stop the run, can bottle up Lamar Jackson. But this guy is an ankle snatcher, and we all know that. And I don't know if their secondary has quite enough weapons in it to cover up, you know, Sammy Watkins and Hollywood Brown and the tight ends and deal with the misdirection and time of serve and how long they're going to be on the field. So I expect the Baltimore Ravens to win this game uh, 28-17. And the Colts will fall to 1-4, and which is going to be uh, another team that may just need to blow it up. Oh, that sucks to admit. But Carson Wentz does not look good. Quentin Nelson is hurt. That team looks disjointed. So it might not just be the year for them. So that'll take us through the games that you should be watching Thursday through Monday. Um, Let us know what you guys think. Who are the best picks going to be for that? And speaking of picks, we can talk about our big money pick of the week for Gabe now. Um, which we had as the – and Gabe's going to pull it up here for me so I can speak on it.
0: Oh, here it is. It's coming up. Drum please. Darn it. Hang on. I still got to put it in the screen here, but but it's on your screen so you can see it.
1: No, it's all good. It's going to be the Buffalo Bills at Kansas City Chiefs, the game that we just talked about, the big money pick of the week. Listen the over. Folks, yeah, we the over. 50, we love that over. 56 points is the over. That Bills. Could be ends, team. Yeah, that could be the Bills. With 56 points. So I will take the over on that. I mean, as far as who am I taking to win here, uh, I'll take the, I'll take the, uh, the bills
0: to win that
1: tend to win 22.
0: If you, if you can find a casino that lets you bet all the money you will ever make, go do that. Yeah, absolutely. Leverage your house. Absolutely. On on the over of being 56. No stops. (laughs) So, take it from me. All gas, no breaks. The man who lives in an apartment. I live in an apartment
1: too. What are you trying to say? I'm trying to
0: say, well, uh, that we've done well in real estate. I've lived
1: in many, (laughs) many
0: different places.
1: Yeah. No, but uh, no, that'll be the big money pick of the week. Um, It's going to be an interesting matchup. Lots of points to be scored. And I think the Bills walk away with it. And I actually think if you wanted to parlay all three, I think they they win by more than two and a half. They'll take the win, and there will be more than 56 uh, points scored. So, there's a lot of chance for big money there. For those parlay, of you that are looking for a little bit of cash, let us know what you guys or your money pick of the week is going to be, or who you're going to be leveraging your house uh, on over the weekend. And uh, if you got some consistent picks, maybe we'll bring you on the show. Yeah, but that'll take us all the way quickly to our glass half segment of the day. There's a fight going on this weekend, Gabe.
0: You're damn right, there is. So it is Excite. a tri-
1: It's a trilogy fight. Yep. Tyson Fury versus Deontay Wilder 3. Now, there's a lot of things to consider going into this fight. Uh, Tyson Fury, very obviously, in my opinion, won both of the first two fights, but it's good for boxing to have big names in the ring together. And Tyson Fury just seems to eliminate the right hand of Deontay Wilder. And obviously, as he fights backward, he's not all that great. But Gabe, do you think with the... New coach and a lot of time to prepare because this is the only guy that he has been prepping to face through arbitration and everything over the last, what, two years, year and a half with COVID and everything else that's going on. Do you think Deontay Wilder can reclaim his title this weekend?
0: So I'm, I'm, you know, I leave a lot to be desired when it comes to football stuff, but boxing, I am all over the place on. And I'll tell you, the uh, Deontay Wilder's coach is nothing to be impressed about. Okay. Um, we're trying to download like 30 years of boxing skills into Deontay <laughs> Wilder yes. in, in, in a year. And now I think it's really clear that he can't outbox him. He's got a puncher's chance. Of course. I don't like this as a betting um, oh, thing. No, um, i you know, I was just looking up the odds right now, trying to figure out uh, where they're at and I don't really bet on boxing anyway, you know, because it's just, especially in a fight like this, he's right. got a puncher's chance. Now, if he tries to just line him up for a right hand, like what Anthony Joshua just did with um, with Usyk, yeah. Fury's not someone you can hit with just the one hitter quitter. No, like, you gotta you know, up. Right, it, it's got to be a melee type attack where yeah. he goes berserk, they get off balance, and he catches them like that. That can happen, but I really, what I'm interested to see, this is all a, a mental fight for Fury, right? Like, right. you know, is is he gonna let down? Is he gonna take it too lightly? Because obviously he beat the shit out of him. I In mean that's both is fights. Like little brother stuff. Yeah. You know, and uh, hard to get up for that. And D- you know, Deontay does have that crazy power, obviously.
1: I or, mean, you're looking I at a guy that's got it. 38 knockouts. Yeah. He's, his right hand is an eraser. And I was watching the first two fights and I understand Wilder struggles fighting backwards. He's probably never had to anybody who has ever walked into his vicinity. Yeah. Minus Tyson Fury has been, left with drool left drooling on the canvas so there's a lot of development that needs to happen here you know learning to fight off your back foot you know pivot swing the ability to counter punch things like that and I mean his new coach had had accredited 38 wins and 24 knockouts over the course of his career I believe but I don't know you're right I don't know if it's enough now I will say this if he can manage To fight back and up and stay off center, because we were talking about this before the show. Tyson Fury is going to stand in front of you, and he's going to—he's got a lot of good head movement. His footwork is great, but he throws punches from from so many unorthodox angles that it's—it—it—it's going to be—it's going to be be hard if you're just standing in front of him. Tried to trade with him, you're going to almost going to kind of have to turn into a when he misses or when he gives you the ability to breathe. You're going to have to turn the tide, right? Like, the ability he throws, you miss, you're going to have to sting him and then follow up and back him down if you're Deontay Wilder. And I don't know if he has the skill to do that. I really don't. And I, yeah. I don't know if anybody's going to beat Fury. Anthony Joshua definitely doesn't look like he's going
0: to be able to do anything about it right now. No, not after that fight. I mean, actually, Fury, Usk, like, would be uh, very good as in terms of skill, but yeah. a boring fight. Ag- yeah, I agree. You know, that, that so, I mean... We'll see. I I think ultimately, at the end of the day, this is going to be a great fight, a great show. It's going to be great to watch Deontay get his ass kicked again because his (laughs) his ego is so out of control. And it's like, and and truly, I'm so eager to see how he comes out. Is he going to come out flying, like throwing punches, or is he going to be tentative? If he's tentative right away, oh my God, Fury's going to smoke him. Yeah, uh,
1: you got who do you got as a winner, and do you have a round? If I think it's by knockout. You
0: know what? I think it'll be Fury, and I think it'll be around the same thing. I, I'll say the sixth round. I'll say a little bit. No, I'll say fifth round. Fifth round. I'm gonna say that that basically um, Wilder's gonna come out because he's he'll be scared, so so he'll be like throwing, you know, like fighting like Adrenaline a scared dump. man. Yep, exactly. Adrenaline dump, and then get taken out because. I know Fury Fury's been working on his power and like sitting on his punches.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And man, I mean, you like we saw that in the last fight. Even though Fury still doesn't line up with those like crazy uh-huh. rights, but you know, I don't know. He pokes that ear and <laughs> whatever. You lose I don't know. Fury is so freaking cagey. He's awesome right. to watch.
1: And I'm not a huge fan of his. I don't I don't think that oh, any, I love him. I, I mean I I think he's a great guy. Like as a fighter, though, I'm not super convinced that my heavyweight champion should have nine layers of back fat like he just got off the booze cruise and
0: walked into the ring. No doubt about it. I mean, he's not the most exciting physically, <laughs> for sure. And even the way he punches, he throws those backhand rights a yeah. lot, like where he just flicks it out. And But, I mean, even watch watch for things, how he fights, how, like, he throws his jabs like he throws these deliberate off course jabs to try to move the guy's head into where he's gonna throw. When you get march. into like his inside fighting, his half rhythms he fights on. Yep. I mean, watch the feet. Watch him stepping on feet the whole time. I mean, he is a freaking genius. No, he's he's it's, very smart, and he's I definitely amazing to watch. I definitely think that Wilder is going to be fighting an uphill battle. Yeah,
1: <laughs> funny content for the show. Yeah. Um, But no, I, I definitely believe that that's what this is going to turn into. Do
0: I think he has Wilder has a chance? Yes,
1: uh, but I don't know if he can erase Fury.
0: Right, I but really yeah, don't, I mean, I don't even know. Fury's taken it already. Yeah, he's already taken a very, very clear hard right.
1: Now I will say Wilder looks like he has put on weight. I was watching some of the post the pre-fight. Oh, really? Run up. He looks like he's in the best shape of his life. He looks like he's maybe put on ten to twenty pounds.
0: He's always in pretty
1: good shape, but um, so maybe. I mean, like you said, he's got a puncher's chance. I would not put any money anywhere near Deontay Wilder in this fight. And you better believe if he manages to knock out Tyson Fury, we're going to be talking about it next Thursday on the show.
0: This is the thing with boxing, though, too, is that they say, so Deontay, I know, or did at least, he lifts weights. And if he bulked up 20, 30 pounds, the adage with weightlifting in boxing is that, is weightlifting bad for your boxing or is it horrible (laughs) for your boxing? Because it's definitely bad. You know, like it slows down your fast twitch and all that yep. stuff. and it's like, uh, yes. So when you say he put on 20 pounds, it makes me wonder, like, oh God, is now,
1: he? I don't know if that's true. It's right, just right, what right. I was seeing. How he he looks much stouter or filled out this huh. time around than he does than he did in the last fight, where he, I think he he looked a little thin to me, like he was going to try to be quicker than yeah. Fury, which was a would be an awful approach because that guy's got hands like lightning.
0: Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be an interesting. It's just fight. a super hard fight for him. He's yeah. not. A, he was never that good of a boxer. He was protected all the time. He fought uh, tomato cans, and, and that's <laughs> that's what it is, you know. So it's like he's just getting exposed, and uh, it's it's funny to watch him not believe it. Yeah, it is. Just that's my favorite part. It. Yeah, that is just he can't believe it, won't accept it. So, so I enjoy it.
1: Uh, me too. It's gonna be he's a still good getting f- his millions. You yeah,
0: know? he'll come out in a nine.
1: 40-pound suit that he claims gassed his legs, and he'll pay for the diamond cloated gloves that he claims that Tyson Fury wore to cheat and beat him and all the other things that surround his narcissism. I'm sure. Um, But it'll be a fun fight to watch for sure. It will definitely be a spectacle, and I know off the backs of big fights like this, we usually get announcements of others. And I know, obviously, uh, Ryan Garcia has been in talks to sign his next contract. The Canelo fight is coming up. Uh, Andy Ruiz is obviously going to have. Uh, say in the heavyweight division for some time now. Errol Spence is on his way back, um, so there's it should be uh, a good a good Saturday evening to say Stay in, sip some scotch, and watch one guy get his fucking ass handed to him. Absolutely, uh, on uh, at the main event. So, oh, and hey, uh, massive shout out to Manny Pacquiao who officially retired after a illustrious boxing career. Um, just this last week or so. Uh, The only guy that has ever held divisions or titles in eight different divisions. He's been a champion in four different decades. One of the greatest fighters of all time. Truly. Truly one of the greatest fighters of all time. You know, minus the only thing that may have changed that everybody wishes they would have seen earlier was him versus Mayweather in their prime. But, you know, that's all up for speculation. We could spend another hour on that that we don't have. But, you know, he's going to now go and run for president um, down in his home country in, in more power to him. If I was down there, he'd have my vote. Uh Class act of an individual was absolutely great for the sport of boxing and wish him all the best as he sails
0: into his uh post career. How about you Game? That dude, his f- father fed him his own dog. Like that's, 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 that's where he's coming from. That's
1: going to be a president,
0: right? It's, it, and he's by all accounts, a great guy, absolutely. you know, like, I mean, truly he's, yeah. I mean, uh yeah. Hats off to that guy. And he was just a gangster in the ring. All right, folks. Well,
1: let us know what you guys think the outcomes are going to be for Deontay Wilder versus Tyson Fury 3. How big of an ass kick is it going to be? I'm really curious to hear what the crowd thinks for my fight fans. Um, everybody go ahead and take the chance as well to wish Manny Pacquiao a happy retirement. We will be back with you next Thursday uh, at 11 a.m. Central Standard Time at NBC Studios here in the Twin Cities. I thank everybody for joining us. Uh, if you want to go ahead and share this content, you can find it on Spotify, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook. Eventually we'll be back up on, on YouTube and maybe Patreon as well. So, um, always glad to have all of you. Time flies when you're alone. I guess. Thanks to uh, our guests. Oh, absolutely! Massive thanks to Nash Walker uh, for coming on and uh, you know really just showing us what the Twins' future looks like.
0: Which yeah, was awesome. Cool. And uh,
1: we'll see you guys next week.
0: See Take you care. on MCN six tomorrow at one o'clock. Damn straight.